We are back in our sermon series, though, the red letters of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so we're, we're going to pick up where we left off before Advent, and we're in John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. And as, um, before I read, just, just to remind us, so Jesus fed the 5,000 plus and then gathered this crowd. Now, at this point, Jesus is like a celebrity preacher. Like I was saying this morning at the prison, you know, he, uh, tons of followers on Instagram and YouTube, and everybody thinks he's great. And he's like the, the, the person that we've all been looking for and all this stuff they think. And really what that means is it's the person that they thought they could put in their back pocket, and that's never going to be God. But anyway, at this point, Jesus has a lot of followers and it kind of comes to an end, though, right here in this passage. So he is beginning to sort of blow their minds, slash offend them, and stretch them for sure, as right before this he's talking about how you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And, and you may remember, for a Jewish person in particular, that was a very unclean thing to, to, to say. Blood just to touch it, much less drink it, it would make you unclean. And so they're very confused by this language. It's offensive to them. It's scandalizing. He's also said that he is the bread that's come down from heaven and continues to say that if you want life, you have to consume him. And so that's where we pick up his teaching, verse 60, John chapter 6. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And by disciples at this point, I mean just all the followers of Jesus, not not just the 12. But Jesus, being aware that that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were the ones who did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him or walked with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, yet one of you is an accuser? He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Christ, I pray now that you would speak words of life in me, through me, Through Ben, speak those words that we might be healed and that we might believe through your power, Holy Spirit, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, 
And no matter why we're here, would you do this? Would you transform us? In Jesus' name, amen. I was greatly helped from a Brian Zahn sermon. Brian Zahn's definitely one of my teachers from afar these days, and uh, greatly helped from a recent sermon as I was trying to understand this passage and, and what it means for Jesus to be the, the, really the origin of life. So I just want to say that a lot of, a lot of Zahn's teaching sprinkled in here that helped me. Jane read a passage for the call to worship, Isaiah 9, prophesied about Christmas, the coming Messiah. And there's a title given there that I want to, want to talk about. We, we probably have some understanding of the Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, a baby, Jesus, as the eternal Father. How can that be? How can Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, also be eternal or everlasting Father? You ever thought about that? That, like me, maybe you just kind of moved, you didn't really think about those titles, particularly that one, as it was sort of sandwiched in with some others that you kind of understood. I was thinking a lot about that this week. How can Jesus be also our Father? Because that's what is prophesied. That is who Jesus is. So I want to talk about this. Uh, in ancient, the ancient Roman world, there was this custom, and, and um, not long after, well, this is Jesus' day, and then, and then some you know, centuries after, there was this custom where, and this is a very patriarchal society, the, the father was definitely thought to be the head of the family. And to show this, display this, in each home, at least in the homes of means, you would have what's called the patris familius, which was a, a portrait of dad prominently placed, you know, very like regally, I guess, prominently placed. So when you walked in that home, you knew who the patris familius was, the father, the head of the household. And this was a, a, a painting, a portrait that, of course, over time would, would start to fade. And it would need to be uh, restored. So the artist, typically the artist, w- would not throw away the panel and then start over. But what would happen is, at least before, if the father was still alive, the, the father would, would sit again and the artist would take the same panel and, and redraw the likeness of the father and redraw the image onto the painting. And it would be in that way restored. So in that same era, in ancient, the ancient Roman world, there was this early church father, theologian, named St. Athanasius. Anybody name their kid Athanasius? That would be a great name. Uh, we missed out on that, Jennifer. St. Athanasius, who was, he's considered a, a, a church doctor, like one of the, I think there are only 36 or so in the Western church. This, is a, this guy was thought to be a big deal and was. And he wrote this book in the early church called On the Incarnation. And I actually had to read that in seminary. And I'm really, really thankful. It's one of the best books I had to read. And he, in that book, Picking up this theme of the Patris Familius, this is what he says about Christ. Okay, remember the illustration. 
the artist doesn't throw away the painting, takes the painting, and redraws the Father's image. Well, well, if we understand the story of Scripture and really the story of existence, as the Bible tells it, our first parents, as it were, our first father was Adam. Really, the word, it means, it's just, it's Adam. It just means humankind. Adam, humankind, Eve, life. Those are the archetypes for humanity. So our father is Adam. So St. Athanasius says, instead of, because obviously we're, we're sort of beautiful and broken, we're kind of tarnished, still, still image bearers of God, yet still it's kind of hard to see that sometimes. We, we needed to be restored. That is, all of humanity needed to be restored back to the image of, well, not Adam, but even further back. And so St. Athanasius says, this is what Christ has come to do. Instead of Adam being sitting again and being redrawn as the Patris Familius, our Father, Christ sits in and his image is redrawn in its place. And his image now becomes the image and the likeness and, in fact, the Father the Patris Familius of a new humanity, a new creation. And then the writer to the Hebrews will even say, describe Jesus this way, that Jesus doesn't just, isn't just the, the likeness of humanity, but is the exact representation, the exact image of God. And so, folks, here we have together in Christ, the ideal human being, also you, spirit and flesh, body and soul, divinity, enfleshed. Christ becomes our eternal Father now and our new origin, our new source for life, for a new humanity. This is exactly what Jesus means. I think in this passage, verse 63, when he calls himself Now the Spirit that gives life, new life, new humanity. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about Christ being the author, the founder, the father of a new humanity. So yes, Isaiah, not knowing what he was saying probably, is prophesying that by calling Jesus the eternal, everlasting Father. He is our new origin. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, incomplete. The last Adam, Christ, a life-giving spirit. And now we have the telos, the goal of who we are supposed to be, our calling to be in God with Christ. This is, this is w- what is so glorious about Christmas. That has happened. Here's the main teaching. Christ is our new origin story. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, origin story is very popular today with the, you know, superheroes, Marvel and whatnot. Your new origin story, my new origin story is Christ. We come from him. It's a new day. It's a new humanity. Okay, one point 
under this today. To see this, we must surrender and change. Really surrender to changing. <laughs> we can't change ourselves. We just have to surrender and let God change us. But, but this is the hard part of it's really what Jesus means when he says you have to die to yourself to find yourself. You have to surrender to change. In order to get Jesus' teaching, in order to understand your life, this is what we must do. We have to change our whole approach to life. Okay, verse 63, when, that's, a, I think, a really important verse in this passage again. And Jesus says, it is the Spirit that gives life. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So in Christ, the Spirit of Christ in particular, who is within, we are the temple of God. That is now our, our life source is, is restored. It's back. It's within us. The flesh profits nothing. Okay, a lot of, we got to clear something up. This, he's not saying that, okay, matter's bad. This, he's not like introducing a dualism, which a lot of Christians have, bought from Plato, as it turns out, hook, line, and sinker. He's, he's not talking about, I mean, he just spent a lot of verses saying that you got to eat his flesh and talking about how the word took on flesh. So, so Jesus loves fleshly, earthly things. That is who God is, flesh and spirit. So that's, that's not what he means when he says the flesh profits nothing. Here's what he means. He means an ego-driven, performance-oriented Willpower-driven life, <laughs> it'll get you nowhere. It'll kill you, in fact. That's what he means. Flesh profits nothing. The, the Greek word is sarx. It, it, this is, I think, the best way to understand it. Sometimes Paul will talk about it in reference to, like, the old man, the, old, the, the flesh, the old flesh. This is the flesh, if you will, connected to Adam that is no longer our origin. I mean, Adam failed. If you want to live that way, I mean, it's already been tried. It's, it's done. We failed, right? So, so Jesus means that when he talks about flesh. He means living according to, to ego, living according to self-interest only, which is what our first parents, it's how they sinned in the garden. It's how we sin every day. As we say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to like try to be like God without God. And it would be like, as I've said before, your, the reflection, your reflection in the mirror saying, you know what, I no longer need you. <laughs> I'm going to go to like, try to be my own person. And the tragedy is they were already like God. You know, so that's the lie from the serpent is saying that you can be like God. Well, newsflash, they already were, you see. So that was the big lie of the garden. But living according to Sarks or the flesh is, is that self-absorbed, ego-driven life where there are winners and losers, where it's pass-fail, where um, it's us-them. Jesus says that is the life that will profit you nothing. You got you to get off of that treadmill altogether. This is what he means by flesh in this sense. The Bible talks about the deeds of the flesh. You know, sometimes we, we hear that biblical language and we think, I don't know, like certain behaviors Jesus is talking about, and, and Paul, certainly, in, in the Bible itself, in the New Testament, is talking about internal things, really. It's talking about this flesh 
It's talking about living according to, again, self-interest only, to the exclusion of others, which is how a lot of religious people live. They think holiness uh, is about them. Well, it's performance-oriented. And the Bible is giving them an instruction for, like, living right. And so you have winners who do a good job job of that, and you have losers, (laughs) right? And so you can actually use the Bible in this very way, in such a way that it will kill you. This is precisely what Jesus says when he, it's what he means, or rather the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, the letter kills. He means the law of God, (laughs) the Bible, the Ten Commandments. It kills. But the Spirit gives life. Same language right here that Jesus is using. But a lot of times, folks confuse holiness as self-absorption. And they'll pursue, quote, holiness. Their pursuit is nothing more than self-interest and self-absorption. They're going to do certain things in a transactional way to make them feel holy and good, which is not what Christ is talking about at all. That is not the holiness of the Bible. That is actually the deeds of the flesh. Does that, am I making sense? So this is, this is what Christ means when he says, that profits you nothing. You need a new approach to life, a new way to live if you really want to experience the life that Christ has come to give. Life is an absolute gift. There are no winners and losers. It's, it's win-win or lose-lose. <laughs> Good news of Christmas is, hey, win-win. It's win-win. Everybody wins. That, that, or, it's, or no one does. So Jesus shows up as this baby in a manger and is showing us over and over again that uh, we have to rethink and recalibrate how we see life, how we see ourselves. Life is a gift that is only received, but, but in our egos, we don't like that. We, don't, we would rather earn something, you know, work for something. And so we kind of hate grace, if truth be told, because it tells us that we can't do anything. And for those of us who have failed dramatically and catastrophically, we already know this. <laughs> And so we kind of have a head start, actually, in, in understanding grace. For those who seem successful, this is really hard. That is to embrace life as a gift. But this is what Jesus says. Uh, it's, it's salvation or life is granted. Those who come to Jesus are those who are granted by the Father. Well, guess, guess who's the new Father? He's granting everyone, but you still have to walk through the door. And a lot of us just don't like to walk through a door that doesn't require us doing anything, you see? But life is a gift. It can only be received, and this, therefore, requires surrender of our ego. we gotta, we got we to rethink everything, and I'm asking us to do that in this new year. If, if you want to experience life in 2024, there's the ticket. You're going to have to surrender to change. You're going to have to change. We're going to have to... Uh, we're going to have to um, embrace humiliation from time to time. <laughs> this is why the church probably should always be small. If, it's, if this truth is really being taught, it probably always will be small. You know, teachers have said that um, true spirituality or true religion 
really, if done correctly, is one insult after another. (laughs) That is an insult to our ego. It is that which insults your ego and does not give it easy comfort. That is religion. That's the way it should work. If, if you're not experiencing the occasional, ugh, that, that criticism hurt, or that, that little, you know, revelation, that exposure of who I am, if you're not experiencing it, it this is the tendency, is we will try to justify, self-justify, we will try to evade and avoid that critique. Now, that, that's not right. Just, just tell me nice things. Even if you have to lie, I don't care, right? This is, this is what we typically do. If we do that, well, it means we can't have this life. We, we won't grow. And so religion or true spirituality, if done correctly, it, it will mean a bruised ego from time to time. Or, you know, you should, you should, you should leave because you won't grow without that. So, so, yeah, at House of Mercy, I'll just, you know, bring it to a point. If you aren't experiencing a little bruised ego from time to time, it, it's not working, uh, and you aren't growing. It's your only chance to grow. This is, now, this is the hard part. It's hard, but it's hard to take an honest look at ourselves. It just is. And we can all have solidarity in that. And it's hard. No one likes that, right? No one likes to look at their shadow. No one likes to have their shadow presented to them. It's, it's just always going to be that way. It still is for me. That hasn't changed at all. Um, but uh, we, I'm encouraging us all, though, in this new year <laughs> to embrace the Bruce Deacon. <laughs> I'm encouraging us to, to, to actually look at those hard things about us. So there are some ugly things about us. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraging us to look at them, to and really God's just asking that we be honest, that we be authentic. That's, that's actually what holiness looks like. Okay? Um, Jesus is saying that you have to change in that way. And put the ego in the back seat or the flesh, the sarks in the back seat. You have to approach life that way in order to experience. It, it, it does hurt for a minute. It does. Like, and, and we're so averse to like pain. But if we would just allow ourselves to sit in it just for a minute and look at it, right after that point, we begin to experience this freedom begin to experience this, oh, wait, I don't have to defend myself anymore. I, um, w- that is when we begin to understand who we really are, made in the image of God. Friends, you, you, are, you have divine DNA. You are children of God. You don't have to defend yourself. You have a new source. Christ is our origin story. And we're not, we're not perfect yet by any stretch. We're not, we're not whole. We're not fully healed but the process of getting there, we can start now, and it is by just simply being honest. Surrender your ego in order to have life. Don't walk away. That'll be the, the temptation is, is to, when you feel that pain, to just leave. Don't, don't walk away. Stay with it. Over time, you will see what Jesus is talking about. So, so what, what, this is an appeal now just for church. Let me talk about church in 2024. I mean, House of Mercy certainly is an expression of that. We're, we're as I've said before, an, an entry point into the kingdom. That's it. That's all we are. 
Uh, the kingdom is not a building or a place, but a people, and that's everywhere. We're just simply an entry point into the kingdom. Here's what church is for. It is, though, for actual resurrection life, transformation, change. That's what it's for. Transformation, a resurrection life of community and individual. So as, as we change together, here's what happens as a byproduct. The community becomes changed in its wake. And so this is why, you know, you can experience transformation and, and should individually, like with your own spiritual daily practice, but this is why you need other people with you is because strength is in numbers. If you really want to see community impacted and change, well, it's a lot better with many as opposed to one. Come to church as an act of protest to stand up against injustice in the world. That's what church should be for, and it's a lot better to have lots of people or or more than one, right? This is what church is for. If 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 not, then you you should leave. <laughs> There's that's what it, that's the point, or it doesn't serve any purpose uh, at all. I don't think so. House of Mercy is here to walk with you in this new year as we pursue what Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, which is you realizing your true source, Jesus Christ, also defines who you are, spirit, body and soul, spirit and life together. That's who you are. You don't know that unless you look at your, your true image who is seen in Christ. Okay, I'm going to bring this in for landing. So, Verse 66, look at that verse there in the passage. I think, I think at this point, intuitively, they're kind of now getting what Jesus is putting down. They're getting that, oh, this is going to be hard. They're, they're somehow getting that. They're getting that this could be painful. And so this is how they respond in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They, they stopped following Jesus, and Jesus went from a lot of people, well, now the church was beginning to dwindle. <laughs> and so he turns to his disciples, the 12, and says, what about y'all? Are, are you with us, or, or are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And he will, he will be a catastrophic failure very soon after this. But because he understands, well, in fits and starts, is understanding that his source is this Christ, he doesn't leave. Where else is he going to go? Who else is going to, through my failure, still accept me and love me? Well, not many people in this world. But we do, like these disciples, we, we hate change. That's just the truth. We, we don't want to change. Uh, the, the English poet W.H. Auden said, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. That's, that's beautiful. That's profound. Uh, to paraphrase Richard War, he said, we would rather kill Jesus than change. And so we did. <laughs> But here's the good news. Precisely since we refuse to change, 
which does require death? Well, guess what? Our Patris Familius died for us. Christ died in our place, redrawn for us, restoring all of humanity in one fell swoop. He died so that we might have life. This is the gospel, right? So now, on the other side of Christmas, it's all has been forgiven. The new humanity is you now and is me. So the, the, only, the only question is, will we walk? We know the path. If, as we look at Christ, and that's going to be our goal is to look at Christ. If we walk the way of Christ together in this new year, we will experience this resurrection life that is ours in Christ Jesus. So, happy new year. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to do that. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make sense of this teaching and and my attempt um, to deliver it. I pray that you would give us this new life that you talk about. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your love, which is unconditional, and it is radically inclusive of all, even us. In Jesus' name, amen.